Welcome to our After the Bell podcast, brought to you by Thirsty Scholars Partnership. Our podcast is here to help teachers and tutors. We will be discussing the latest issues in education and sharing top tips for use in the classroom, both face-to-face or virtually. If you work in education and looking to improve or develop your skills, then this podcast is here to help you. Welcome back to the After the Bell podcast brought to you by Thirsty Scholars Partnership. Georgie McIntyre here, Director of Learning and Development, and we return to focus on our series of podcasts for early career teachers. Joined again today, I am with Helen Morgan, who's a previous head of school and an associate of Thirsty Scholars Partnership, and Andy Bridge, a current deputy principal. In our last podcast, we explored what does cognitive science tell us about how students learn, And today we're focusing on developing our subject knowledge. Even if we've studied our subject at degree level, our studies are likely to have been very specialised and in great depth and on a narrow aspect of the curriculum. Whilst many teachers love their subjects, this does not necessarily translate into a strong knowledge of all aspects of the curriculum across the key stages. This is even more of a challenge for teachers in primary schools who need to master the subject knowledge of multiple disciplines. So today we're going to explore the importance of subject and curriculum knowledge and consider how we can always strive to enhance our confidence with this. So I'm going to start by asking and welcoming Helen to the podcast today and ask why is it important to develop our subject knowledge generally, Helen? Okay, I think, again, that's a really great question, Georgie. You know, for me, um, when we think about kind of curriculum knowledge and subject knowledge, um, they're intrinsically linked. And we need teachers to be not just confident with their subject, but actually competent in teaching their subject. So they need to be really capable and understand the things that they're teaching beyond um, the superficial and you know Andy talks a lot uh, Andy and I talk a lot when we're in school about kind of teachers really kind of needing to be able to see the bigger picture and understand um, all aspects of the curriculum that they teach Andy I don't know if you want to come in there yeah I think it's um, just if we've got teachers that have got really good knowledge of their own discipline then you can start to see um, and really understand the progression from year seven up to year 13 and how topics are uh, sequence and, and build upon each other and deepen as the students move through the curriculum. But also, once their own subject knowledge is secure, I think it's much easier then to see the kind of the horizontal interconnectedness between the different subject disciplines and make kind of coherent sense of the curriculum as a whole rather than an individual subject working in isolation but I think if you've got teachers where their own subject knowledge is insecure it's difficult to move past feeling one step in front of the students. Yeah I'd agree with that and you know helping students to make sense um, of a subject is really hard isn't it because they're often studying multiple subjects at the same time across a week and moving from one thing to the next thing. I think when we think about subject knowledge, um, there's been, you know, again, quite a lot of research on this. Um, Rob Cole looked at it um, in his research um, back in, I think, you know, kind of about 2013, 2014 with what what makes great teaching. And then um, 
people have come back to it in the Great Teaching Toolkit, which was released in June 2020. And they talk a lot about the importance of subject knowledge. And, you know, as a teacher, you need to, to know your subject well. But I think one of the things that comes through that research is you need to have an understanding of the best ways to teach your subject. So if you're a scientist, um, then you need to understand what are the best ways of teaching science? Or if you're a historian, what's the best way of teaching history? And, you know, what are those key misconceptions that students um, will come up with? And, you know, I always almost kind of laugh at that point and think, well, as an English teacher, I've been teaching Romeo and Juliet for years. And one of the key misconceptions is busting the myth that Romeo and Juliet um met through looking at each other through a fish tank and you know that one still persists but you know as a teacher it's about knowing what those common misconceptions might be and planning for that um Andy I don't know whether you would kind of come in there <laughs> yeah absolutely I totally agree and I think um it's interesting though because like you said the um you know I, I well I'll not insult anyone with uh comment about how many years you might have taught Romeo and Juliet in a row, Helen, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, you know, those, those bits of subject knowledge where you think, actually, I know this text really well. No matter how many times I've taught a text and feel really confident with it, every time you teach it or every time you teach a topic, there's kind of yeah. a, a different light that you see it in or a new interpretation or something that you've missed. So I think it's, um, I don't know, just this idea of subject knowledge is so important so powerful that um that we invest kind of time in it yeah totally agree and do, and do you think it's not just about the subject knowledge as well Andy do you think it's also about the the curriculum around it and and demonstrating that there's there's a, a robust curriculum yeah definitely and I think um you know you mentioned in your introduction Georgie that a lot of teachers have got a degree in um what it is they're going to teach but often your degree ends up so specialized and so narrow um, you know, it doesn't bear a lot of resemblance to what a lot of the curriculum is. So, um, I mean, Helen and I are both um, English teachers. My degree was English language and linguistics. And when I came to teach, I thought, you know, God, there's a lot of this curriculum where I'm going to need to do a lot of reading and a lot of brushing up before I feel ready to teach it, because it wasn't anything like what I, uh, you know, what I'd been studying for the past three years. I don't know if you were similar with that, Helen. What was it you did at uni? I did, I did literature and history. So again, similarly, um, you know, part of my degree, particularly early on, was was history, which had nothing to do with literature. And then I pursued a, a I suppose, a more literature path based pathway um, in my second and third year. But again, you know, if I compare what I studied at university to what I ended up teaching in my first two years. There was nothing that was similar, absolutely nothing. So you're starting from scratch often. And, you know, the connections that I probably had um, were from my own experience of GCSE um, and A-level at school. And at that point, you're on the receiving end of it as a learner. So your subject knowledge is really limited at that point. Um, so, yeah, there's a huge amount to, to get to grips with. So what what do early career teachers need to know? I think you need that real confidence with every aspect of the national curriculum at Key Stage 3, how your own school have um, 
adapted that curriculum and, and moved beyond it as a starting point. The GCSE specifications, obviously, if you're going to teach at A level, you need um, the confidence of the curriculum for year 12 and 13. But, you know, what we know about teacher efficacy is if a teacher is more confident with their subject knowledge and they're not worrying about is someone going to ask me something that I haven't got a clue how to answer, then they're, they can focus on the pedagogy, they can focus on the um, the strategies they're using and supporting the students. So I think it's so important that they've got that confidence with the curriculum. Um, and also, if you know the subject really well, I think you're less likely to allow misconceptions to develop amongst your students. And we know that once students have got that uh, kind of misconception, it's really hard to then unlearn it. Um, whereas the teachers with the best subject knowledge, I would say usually, um, catch those misconceptions before they're embedded. Excellent. It's, Go on, Helen. It's sorry. really, yeah, it's, I don't know whether Andy would agree with, with this as well, but like, you know, if you're not confident with um, your subject knowledge, it's really hard to actually teach it to somebody else. I think you have to be really secure in your subject knowledge to be able to teach something well to somebody else. Otherwise, if we go back, we talked in um, the last podcast on cognitive science about explanation. If you're not clear and your subject knowledge isn't secure, then you're going to really find it hard often to explain a concept or an idea to somebody else. And for me, um, you know, as an early career teacher, I think in terms of developing your subject knowledge, developing your explanation of that subject knowledge goes hand in hand with that. Mm -hmm. And what kind of things can ECTs or early career teachers do to, to continue to develop their subject knowledge? What else can would you recommend they do? So I think a lot of this is um, easy to do kind of independently and without input from others, just reading, aging uh, mm -hmm. online. Uh, you know, Twitter, there's whole subject communities, um, hashtag Team English are kind of really proactive on on Twitter at sharing resources and helping people develop the subject knowledge. I'm sure that the same exists for um, other subject areas. Um, subject associations, they, I, I mean, I don't know your thoughts, Helen, I don't think they seem to be as popular um, in recent years as they maybe once were, but maybe that's just my um, interpretation of it. But there's, you know, a lot of great content that they can help um, teachers to kind of further their subject knowledge and a lot of them do a really cheap discounted rate if you're in your first couple of years of teaching and um, so I think that's worth doing. Um, Helen and I have both taught on subject knowledge enhancement courses which I think are incredibly valuable if you get the opportunity to do one of those in your ITT year or one of the kind of adapted versions that they offer for existing qualified teachers because um, you almost go through the GCSE curriculum as though you're a student and get feedback on it um, which is you know I, I just think they're absolutely invaluable like I'd recommend it you know funding was no object I think mean, it'd be great for everybody to do um, and then probably lastly something that we don't always necessarily think of and value is learning from our more experienced colleagues and recognizing that colleagues in your department that have taught um, you know your subjects for 10-15 years have amassed a huge amount of subject knowledge, curriculum knowledge, but also um, knowledge of how best to teach that to students. So ask, you know, ask for help, asking your colleagues, watching their lessons and looking at their explanations of how they um, kind of set about explaining those challenging concepts in a really 
easy to comprehend where you know I think is such a good use of time. And there's a wealth of other resources that are out there as well. So you know, particularly a little harmless plug here, but Thirsty Scholars have got a number of sort of subject specific primary maths and secondary maths, primary English, that with some really great presenters that just target sort of different tiny little areas that might help just develop you a bit further. So that's always great worth investing. And what aspects of developing subject knowledge might as an ECT struggle with? What kind of things do you think are the typical challenges around subject knowledge? Yeah, I think, you know, just kind of like Andy said, when you're studying something that's maybe new to you, um, you're starting from scratch with it. And I think that's where going to, to observe an experienced colleague can be really valuable. Um, and even, you know, even as an experienced teacher, I think that can be valuable. I always remember there was a, a poem um, in an old anthology that I really struggled to get to grips with. Um, and I went and watched a colleague teach it because they loved that poem. And I came out and I was like, I get how to do that now. Um, and it took me an hour. But actually, kind of, I went from feeling really underconfident to thinking I can do this. So mm -hmm. I think. For me, kind of, you know, you often struggle with things that are new um, to you as a as an early career teacher. I think if you're a non-specialist um, teaching out of your subject, that can be really challenging. I think at that point, you've got to work really hard on your subject knowledge. Otherwise, your teaching um, will be really superficial. And I think probably the third thing to think about is that transferability so you know when you're teaching an aspect of your, your subject or you've taught an aspect previously helping students to make those connections can be really helpful between different topics um, different themes or different ideas and trying to do that really deliberately and explicitly can really support learners so again you know, as an early career teacher, really thinking about transferability and connections can can help you a lot. Thank you. So do you have one top tip that you could share, Andy, with early career teachers? Yeah, I think for me, um, you know, there's always going to be some bits of the job that we like more than others. Um, but your subject is the bit that you love. It's your passion. It's, you know, it's the thing that you chose to go on and study in a lot of cases. So I think kind of really model like loving your subject, be that um, learner role model um, so the students can see that you constantly develop your own subject knowledge, uh, you know, as a, a model for them valuing learning. Um, and I think you just need to be really proactive with it, kind of your own subject knowledge doesn't necessarily develop um, by osmosis, if you like, it, re it requires some deliberate effort on your part. So kind of make the time and space to do that, invest in your own development, um, and kind of prioritise it, I would say. Yeah, I, th I think the concept that actually once you're an early career teacher, your learning stops, that 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 isn't the case. You, you've got to be a lifelong learner, particularly when you're working in education. You, you've got to continue and, and keep up to date with your practice and your readings and, and the strategies and pieces that are out there as well. Helen, what about yourself? Would there be any key takeaways that you would have? Yeah, I think mine is, um, you know, Andy, Andy referred to my age earlier, but I think it's worth coming back to, uh, you know, I, I kind of qualified um, as a teacher in um, at the end of uh, 1995. 
So I've been doing this for a, a while now, but I think no matter how experienced you are, um, things develop, things change. There are new focuses. There are new, you know, in English, there are new texts. Um, you've never, ever cracked it with your subject knowledge. So as an early career teacher, um, you're really in that emergent phase. I think I've been in that emergent phase <laughs> for, for almost 27 years. Um, and I think my key takeaway is, you know, to to, to keep learning um, mm. and to adopt that learner mindset throughout your career. Um, I think I've still got loads to learn about teaching um, and, you know, to really embrace that as well. You know, it's, it's probably the best bit of your job. Yeah, the fun bit, the fun bit. And I need to catch up with you about Romeo and Juliet and the fish tank. <laughs> <laughs> In our next podcast, we'll be unpacking and discussing how we can develop our subject knowledge. This podcast explores the importance of the curriculum. And also we're going to go on and actually look at what are the components of great teaching. So in our last uh, podcast, we're actually looking at uh, having our how we all have our own style and persona in the classroom. But there's clear research base about which aspects of teaching combine to make an effective lesson or series of lessons. You can catch up with our After the Bell podcast, which are released on a weekly basis and provide quick tips and discussions with our experts around all things educational. Listen to them on your daily commute or on your treadmill or as your focus for the day. You've been listening to After the Bell. Thank you so much, Helen and Andy, for joining us and those who've listened. Thank you. Thank you.